It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, The Horn. Tuesday morning to you, especially those of you who might be trying to uh, traverse I-35 in Williamson County. If there was a day that I could be happy that I wasn't driving into the ARN compound, it would normally be Tuesday mornings. This being a Tuesday, it checks the box, especially if you were listening to our good friend Don Miller with the traffic reports this morning. Nevertheless, undaunted, we move forward and wish you good morning and welcome to Light the Tower. On the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. My name is Craig Way. You know, I did not drive in this morning. I'm uh, comfortably ensconced in our Williamson County Bureau up there at the domicile. Reason being is like it usually is. I did this before Big 12 Conference uh, or, or before going up. I believe for the TCU series, there was one of the things that over basketball, where it gives me uh, a jump start being able to get up there, especially today because the Longhorn baseball team is leaving uh, this morning, and they are busing up to Arlington. They have their on-field workouts uh, inside a Globe Life Field in Arlington, and uh, media availability from there. So I'm going to. Uh, uh, as soon as we're done here in the first hour, I'm zipping up I-35, getting up there for that. So I'm with you the first hour of the program. Jeff Howe will be along uh, momentarily, and Jeff will be there in hour number two along with our producer, Cameron Parker. What did you do with your Monday night last night, Cam? How did you spend your Monday evening? Got a little pickup basketball in last night, a little workout. Wow. I'm impressed. You're still playing are, are you doing more than just pick up basketball? I mean, I know you play golf whenever you get the opportunity, but, I mean, are you in leagues of different things? No, I haven't been in a league lately. Um, used to play in a league around here, but mostly it's just pick up once or twice a month. I would love to get back in the leagues, though, maybe this summer. What I'm about to say is going to sound utterly preposterous, yet I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, you're at the ripe old age of 25. Do you feel like you've lost a step? Oh, 100%. From, oh, okay. From when you were like 19, 20, 21, when you were playing pretty regularly. Yeah, because you, you, like- you would play like twice or three times a week. And, and last night we were playing full, and I was this guy was just blowing by me. I was just like, like <laughs> damn, all right, you're, you're old, son. You got you to gotta, you gotta guard, guard the guys out of shape now. You can't guard the guy who's young and spry anymore. So my Okay. So, hopefully, though, yeah. may, maybe this summer I'll, I'll get maybe one or two more runs in, and I'll get back to that. But, no, I, I definitely feel it uh, on the basketball court. That's for sure. Uh, Okay, so so you're going to be more of the step back shooter than late in your pickup basketball game career. Would that be correct to say something like that? Uh, I think more like Boris Dio. I think that that's that's more of a good comparison okay. for me. Okay, all right, all right. No shame in that. Okay, so <laughs> so that is good. Now, uh, uh, with regard to 
the end of the Lakers Nuggets series last night. It's been well documented. I don't know if it's I, I, I think it's a thing that happens with all of our producers uh, slash host, the ones who are serving the combo roles. We'd like to think of Cam in that way. But all all four of you guys, well, I'm just going to say it. You're all LeBron haters. I mean, you, you just really are. I mean, you, you know, you, you start with Ty Henderson in the morning. Then there's you. Then there's Zay, who, of course, is a co-host with Chad, but also has been a former producer in the morning and kind of produces as, as a co-host. And then and and then there's and then there's Patrick Davis and all you guys you just yeah you, you're LeBron haters is what you are you know you know that and 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 I readily identify with it and you know I suppose that's okay but I, it's weird that all four of you guys who man the controls and keep us on the air all have a common interest and that is just an you know you you guys just can't. You don't like you don't you don't like LeBron. You just aren't right. I wonder if it's and a it, is it a Texas thing? Because well, but you're not from Texas though. That's true. That that I mean, is true. You, 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 now the other way guys, to rub it in, Craig. Well, I'm not from Texas originally either. I've lived most of my life in this state, and like Mac Brown used to say, I got here as fast as I could, but I didn't, you know. Uh, but I, I, I'm just looking for a common thread. Native Texan who just opened his mic right there, of course, is my co-host. The pride of not far from where I sit right now in northwest Williamson County, just up uh, State Highway 195 there. Damn where he would Where he was the pride and, the, and a proud graduate of Florence High School. But you know him best for his outstanding work at Horns 24-7. That's Jeff Howe. I was just trying to strike a commentary. I was trying to figure out why our four, uh, you know, producers slash hosts there during the day. And it just occurred to me this morning, all of them are not on board with LeBron. Ty Henderson just said that it's because of the 2011 finals versus the Mavericks, which would make sense. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, but, but the Mavericks won that. So they won that series. I over, I over have the, a much stronger disdain for Dwayne Wade. Like I, I I would consider myself a LeBron fan. If Dwayne Wade fell off the face of the earth today, it would it would be no sweat off my back. Now that's fascinating. I, I got to hear this. Why 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 the, two, Jeff, the you... 2006 finals? Oh, the 06 finals. Okay, all right, all right. I, I, okay. Well, the, it, at least there's. Let me that rephrase that. Sense. The 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 NBA rigged 2006 finals. Okay. All right. So so let let me let me pose this further. I guess Patrick Davis would be the one that I really need to ask about this because he's such a well. Patrick's a, a big Patrick's a Spurs fan. So yeah, yeah. This is where I was going that against him. Well, this this is where I was going to go with this for Patrick because he is a big Spurs honk. Does that mean he hates Ray Allen with every fiber of his being? I don't know. Because wasn't Ray Allen the one who buried the key three there when they yep. when they when the Heat beat the Spurs? Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm you know anyway. I, no, it, the, it got me to thinking about the it. Dwayne Wade thing for me. It's it's oh six, but then he was the one that started, and LeBron's not completely innocent in that. But Dwayne Wade's the one that started. Mm-hmm. Remember when Dirk was sick in the finals, and the yeah. camera catches Dwayne Wade walking down the hall like fake coughing. I'm like, all right, all right, laugh it up, get your jokes in right now. And Dirk got the last laugh though. 
<laughs> karma, karma came back to his, the to, way he closed out that was a game six is, is some of the best basketball I've ever watched. I mean, that made me go out to the basketball courts and <laughs> learn the Dirk jumper, the fadeaway jumper. Love me some Dirk, one of my all time favorites. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dwayne, so, Dwayne Wade can just go urinate up a rope for all I care. Wow. Okay. All right. <laughs> On that happy note, uh, so the Denver Nuggets. Or you know me, uh, you guys know me. I'm a big history buff of the game. So the Denver Nuggets are going to the first ever NBA Finals, which and, and when I was you know uh, in my younger years, first of all, when I was a kid, I liked the Lakers with Jerry West and Will Chamberlain, which tells you how old I am. But then, but then in my twenties, early twenties, there when the Showtime Lakers were getting going, yeah, I was all about Magic and Kareem and. Byron Scott, as, as Aaron remembered later, was Norman Nixon. Uh, Norm Nixon, who started off when Magic first got there, and then Kurt Rambis, and then uh, Kurt Rambis, Mark Landsberger, uh, Michael Cooper, Bob McAdoo joined them later. Got a ring with the '82 team. That might be my favorite Lakers team, either that one or the '87 uh, that beat the Celtics uh, in six. Of course, the '85 one finally got over the hump against Boston and won that in six. When Cap had the great, you know, Kareem was the MVP and had they. Had the uh, had the great final series, but anyway, I uh, you know I, I was a big fan of those Laker teams, but uh, as has been pointed out, uh, you know the primary way that I put myself through college uh, was to sell T-shirts at concerts, working either for the band or for the building, and for a company that managed those teams. and um, and I worked for uh, the company that managed the merchandise at Reunion Arena during the Mavericks expansion year of eighty eighty one when they went. 15 and 67 and that was uh I, I i locked into the mavericks at that point and i am first and foremost a mavericks fan so it didn't it didn't really break my heart much about the lakers losing last night i, I you know to borrow jeff's phrase neither fish nor foul however uh i have an appreciation for the history of the game and for denver to finally reach an nba finals i think is pretty cool they reached one aba finals it was the last year of the league and the Nets with Dr. J beat them. The then New York Nets who were playing out on Long Island, as they said, they they beat them to win it. And and that was a a Denver Nuggets team that had Larry Brown as the head coach and Doug Moe was his assistant. And they had David Thompson and uh, they uh, and had uh, two or three other. I was trying to well, the names just flew right out of my head. That were that were big pieces on that 76-77. Uh, Denver Nuggets team that got there, so they were in one ABA Finals, but never in an NBA Finals. So, so that was that was pretty cool, I think, to see for that. Now we'll see what happens in the East. It looks like it's a fait accompli as well in the East that Miami will will do that. Will you guys have uh, uh, a viewing interest in these NBA Finals if it is indeed Denver and Miami? I want to see if Michael Jordan's son can push through and get the Heat to the Finals. Mm, okay, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know. Uh, I'm not uh, letting it, that it, conspiracy theory go. Okay, okay, all right. Yeah, I understand. I understand. You're 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 still of the mindset that Jimmy Butler is from Michael Jordan's loins. Is that correct? That Michael Jordan may have sired playoff Jimmy. I'm not going to completely dismiss yeah. it. Okay. Not going to completely right. dismiss it. Okay. All right. The um, <laughs> the, uh, and as a guy who grew up, like I said, as a teenager, um as a preteen and then a teenager in the early 70s, uh, going to Carolina Cougars games in the ABA, uh, I got a chance to see some of those Denver Nuggets teams play, the Indiana Pacers. I saw the Spurs' first-ever team in 73 
when when uh, George Gervin was very young, when Ice was was really I saw him play for the Virginia Squires with Dr. J the year before uh, when they when they played uh, the Carolina Cougars. So it was it, it was a lot of fun seeing that. And, but I saw Denver. I saw the Miami Floridians play there. So the, the Craig, NBA. Did you, uh, did you see the the uh, Will Ferrell movie Semi Pro? Absolutely. Okay, I figured Absolutely. that uh, with the ABA stuff that had to be right up your alley. Yeah, and and it's like most things in Hollywood, especially where Will Ferrell's concerned, it's kind of over the top about what the ABA was all about with their Flint Tropics and things like that. But there were some they drew on a lot of the crazy things that happened. Some of the ABA. I went to a game, Jeff, in uh, 1973 uh, as a teenager. I went to a game between the Carolina Cougars and the then Denver Rockets. They had not changed their name to the Nuggets. Uh, that came a couple of years later. They were the Denver Rockets, and they were kind of like uh, purple and orange, their colors were, I think. And uh, they, they played a Friday night game in the Greensboro Coliseum that did not tip off until 9.45 Eastern time. The reason is before the basketball game, and, and this was typical ABA promotions and trying to get things – they had a tennis match between Arthur Ashe and Stan Smith. Wow. And it was great. Yeah, it was a best of three. And Stan Smith was, you know, one of the top players at the time. This was, I think, the year before Arthur Ashe won at Wimbledon or won the U.S. Open in 75. Uh, but it was it, – it was, or maybe it was Wimbledon. Wimbledon. But uh, he uh, – that they yeah, it was best two out of three, and it was great. My parents went that night because they wanted to see the tennis match more than – than the ABA game uh, was, uh, but, was, but was, was coffee great. was coffee black on that Spurs team that you watched? Was coffee black on that Spurs team? You remember, remember in semi pro uh, Andre three thousand? Oh, coffee black. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot. <all> that. <laughs> no, but that Spurs team did have George Kervin. It had James Silas on that team because I saw them the year before as the Dallas Chaparrales who played their home games at Moody Coliseum on the SMU campus when they had James Silas and Skeeter Swift and some other guys that played for uh, the Chaparrales. And then when they moved to San Antonio, uh, then, then of course, uh, George Gervin got there. And, uh, and it was it, it was fun. Yeah, but those were there's, – there's a great book. You may have read it. Uh, and uh, a great – by Terry Pluto called Loose Balls. And, it's called, and, and the subtitle is The Fast Wild Life of the ABA. And it's a great book. And it and it goes into all kinds of stuff. Though The whole, uh, you remember the story about uh, Marvin Barnes and the plane flight from Louisville to St. Louis, St. Uh, Louisville, Louisville to St. Louis? You, you, did you ever hear that story? Bob Costas tells that story. Have you, have you ever heard that one, Jeff? No. The, the Marvin, that was the deal where, he was playing for the Spirits of St. Louis. That's where the Carolina Cougars moved to. They moved to St. Louis uh, in after the 70s. Didn't Moses Malone season. play for that team? He did briefly. Yeah, he did. And uh, and and so they moved from 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 Carolina from North Carolina uh, to St. Louis after the seventy three seventy four season. And they ha- and they Marvin Barnes was uh, a uh, was a rookie on that team coming out of Providence. And they had a game that was in Louisville against Kentucky, uh, the Kentucky Colonels, 
who were one of the you know one of the hallmark franchises, one of the original franchises in the ABA, and then they were going back home to St. Louis. And Marvin Barnes asked a teammate, uh, "What time do we take?" It was an afternoon game, and so he said, "What time are we leaving?" And uh, and the teammate told him, "See that or Bob Costas himself, a 21-year-old play-by-play guy, said to him." Uh, we leave at 7.03. He goes, well, what time we get back to St. Louis? And he said, 6.57, because, you know, the time zone changed, and it's not that right. far from Louisville to St. Louis. And Bob Costas' quote was that Marvin Barnes said, no way, Holmes, I'm not going. He goes, what do you mean you're not going? I am not getting on any time machine, is what he said. So it's great. Um, that was all part of the, the the days of the ABA. They had some crazy, crazy. But anyway, the Denver Nuggets are going to be in the NBA Finals, and and uh, they're certainly going to have a a real reasonable shot to uh, to to win their first ever NBA title. You know, the only and, reason, and I Craig, that, that I know good. Moses Malone played for the Spirits of St. Louis. The only reason I know that because back that? back when he was uh, back when he was wearing throwback jerseys as a part of his wrestling gimmick, John Cena once wore a Moses Malone. Spirits of St. Louis throwback jersey. Orange one, right? Yeah, I was white with orange lettering. I'm like, huh, I didn't yep. know Moses Malone played for the Spirits of St. Louis. And sure enough, throw it, he the did. Google, throw it in the Google machine and there it is. Yeah, yeah, he did and played, I believe, also for the Utah Stars. That fold, uh, The Stars folded 16 games into the 75-76 season. And this is, I don't know, I, I run the risk of getting canceled when you say something like this in 2023, but this happened back in the 75-76 ABA season. Moses Malone was then sold to the spirits yep. of St. Louis to help pay down the Stars' debts. You just sell players? Yeah, yeah, you could. You, the, the ABA had to do that, and that's in that in in that. Uh, um, it's still in soccer. Semi-pro movie. Uh, like paying uh, like the transfer fee or whatever, Cam. Yes. Yeah. One of those. Yeah. One of those yeah. bits. The, okay. Yeah. It's it, it, and they did it. I think that's what happened with George Gervin going from the Virginia Squires, who were pretty much bankrupt, to the Spurs. Uh, so I, I think it, I think it had something to do with that. Players were, were sold and that was regardless of race. Yikes. I mean, like you said, uh, you know, uh, so it, that happened, their contracts were sold basically. Now you so don't even call the NBA, they're governors now. They're not owners, they're governors. Yes. The board of governors. That's right. Which to me, <laughs> governors carries, I mean, if you want to talk about like racist connotation, governor to me carries a little more of a negative connotation <laughs> than owner does. Yeah. Like I just yeah. picture some dude sipping sweet tea in a rocking chair wearing like a Colonel Sanders suit when I think of governor. Governor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I see where you're going with that. Uh, all right. Um, We've got we we've got a couple of things. we've got our Longhorn notebook coming up. Uh, I have a, a couple of pieces of sound from yesterday from the media availability from David Pierce. Do we put that in there or do you have something standalone? No, it'll be all baseball in this Longhorn Good. notebook. Okay, all right. So that's coming up here. We do have uh, a good inconceivable here and. Uh, it does involve <laughs> like Stoner chiming in. Don't worry, I'm sure Rick Barry also got sold. <laughs> he did. Did he? Really? He did. Yeah, he did. Uh, and, uh, his his contract did get sold. Uh, that he had an unusual deal that happened in from going for the Oakland Oaks. The franchise then shifted to the Washington Capitals. Uh, they were called the Washington Capitals with an O, not the A, like the NHL team. 
and uh, and 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 they played that little bitty Washington Coliseum where the Beatles played, by the way, their first American show after the Ed Sullivan Show, and then they uh, moved the team to Virginia to become the Squires. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. So this would have been the fall of 70, 1970-71. And uh, I can't remember what the headline was, something about, about being reluctant to uh, Squire or Virginia or something. He did not want to go off of that. So uh, it happened with uh, it happened with uh, with a lot of the best players uh, in the league. The ABA was just trying to survive at that point. I know that used to happen so, in baseball, right, where guys you know guys oh, yeah. get sold from one team to to another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it happened. And when Kurt Flood challenged the reserve clause in 1970, that he was traded actually from the Cardinals franchise, which had been so good and uh, won a World Series in '64, and then again in '67, and he was a key player on that. Uh, they uh, they lost to the Tigers in seven games in 68, but they were still a very stable franchise, and he got traded to the Phillies, who were really bad back then. And, and he and you know went all the way to the Supreme Court and all that sort of thing, and it ended up uh, it ended up ushering in free agency. Uh, that's what that's what opened the door to free agency, even though he lost the case, uh, and it pretty much put his career on the line. He became friends. Uh, obviously, with the late Jim Brown, who just passed away, and uh, who was certainly a, a social activist as well, and uh, were, were, was also an activist for players as well. So, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, player contracts were uh, routinely sold in baseball for decades and decades and decades. Uh, that that happened quite a bit, and now you have the age of free agency. Uh, okay, so. Uh, so we've got, uh, like I said, we have a longer notebook coming up, and then uh, after that, we're going to have inconceivable. We'll get we'll get to that as well. And uh, should we should we say, or do you need uh, a little more uh, gathering time with regard to your second hour notebook? Since I'll be on the road up to the Metroplex at that point. No, we'll just we'll cover a little bit of Longhorn football and a little Longhorn basketball. Okay, good. Yeah, Cam and, and I'll that, just talk. We'll talk. We'll hash out a few things. Good. See, so we're running the gamut here, making sure we're getting everything uh, covered. Before we get to the break here, well, I'll tell you what, we'll do it as part of the Longhorn Notebook because it has to do with baseball. We'll do that coming up when we continue here on Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Craig Way and Jeff Howe, Light the Tower. This might be the greatest road trip rock and roll song ever done. Do you know this tune, Jeff? Uh, It sounds familiar, but I don't know the name of it. This is Radar Love by Golden Earring. Say Golden Earring? Golden Earring. Let's talk about driving all night. Here's his baby calling. Okay. So he's driving. All right. So then here, it's half past four, and I'm shifting gear in the middle of the line. So here's the refrain right here, Cam. And uh, he's trying to get home. 
here's your chorus. You gotta like this. You gotta wave in the air. Yeah. Uh, the last, the last uh, verse of the song goes, no more speed, I'm almost there. Gotta keep cool now, gotta take care. Last car to pass, here I go. And the line of cars moved down real slow. Radio playing that forgotten song. Brenda Lee is coming on strong. It sounds like uh, it sounds like a little innuendo there. Uh, no, just just you know, right here. The, the, the road has got me hypnotized, and I'm, and I'm spitting into a new sunrise. So he's just he's been driving all night, you know. So uh, it's it's it's. My brother tells a story about how they went to see Leonard Skinner in concert at the Greensboro Coliseum in 1974. The lead-in act was Golden Era. And and so so they were starting off, they were playing these songs. And you know how it is, a lot of those, you have a lot of uh, warm-up bands. Nobody's really paying much attention to the, to the lead-in, the warm-up act. They're waiting for the main event. And these guys are just playing one song after another. Nobody's ready. And all of a sudden, they rip into Radar Love, and the whole place just lights up. Oh, yeah, I know that one. Yeah, yeah Radar Love, you know. It was a big one there. <laughs> all right. Uh, we uh, continue to light the tire on the horn. I'm sure some other OGs like myself there on the Specs text line will remember that. 337-3776. Right now, it's time for the Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. Uh, baseball is is definitely on, on the minds of folks. As, as teams make their way to their respective conference tournaments all across the country, unless, and Jeff, I know you know this because you follow it, unless you're in a league like, say, the SEC or the Sun Belt, which actually begin their conference tournaments with single elimination games today, and that would include your fighting Texas Aggies in the SEC. They've got a single well, eliminator. They're not banned. They ain't my Texas A&M Aggies. I don't know. Who are these Texas Aggies in what you speak of? Well, I mean, didn't you – you went you went to a branch campus of it. I mean, you you you, you attended uh, the, the, the younger brother campus of Texas of, A&M of up the at few, Central Texas. One of the few times in my life where I will freely admit, no, I, I went to a community college. It was not a Texas A&M branch school yet. It was the future Texas A&M CT, right? Uh, it was on its way to being a Tarleton campus, and then I guess it's now since been named <laughs> Texas A&M Central Texas. So yes, but I'm okay. not I'm not familiar with these Texas Aggies with whom you referenced. Okay, well they do have a play-in game uh, today. You I'm might say Texas it's a single Longhorns. eliminator. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, tech, the other point I was pointing out: Texas State is not playing a single elimination game today, but they do play tomorrow uh, in the opening of the Sun Belt Conference tournament down at. Riverwalk Stadium in Montgomery, Alabama. You asked me about that uh, ballpark yesterday, and uh, in Montgomery, and you, I think you what, didn't you ask me if it was a minor league ballpark? Yeah. And I said yes. It's home of the Montgomery Biscuits, who's the Double uh, A affiliate of the Rays, I believe. So uh, uh, it's a nice ballpark. Our friend Ty Harrington is working uh, the telecasts of those games. Uh, there and of course the Longhorns head to Arlington today. So everybody else is, you know, they get on the bus and they head up north and and uh, or south or wherever they're coming from the different areas uh, to get to uh, Arlington. And uh, the Longhorns have a practice today on the field inside of uh, Globe Life Field. 
Uh, Dylan Campbell was named the final Big 12 Conference Player of the Week, uh, and uh, the all-conference awards will be announced today, and uh, there'll be the Player of the Year. It's probably going to be J.J. Weatherhold of West Virginia. I would assume so, yeah. Uh, Pitcher of the Year is kind of intriguing as to where there's a couple of starters, and then there's uh, Tyson Neighbors, the, the lockdown closer for Kansas State. Uh, would be would be a candidate for that as well. So uh, the, and uh, and then there'll be a, a newcomer of the year uh, and a freshman of the year, I believe. So and a coach of the year. So all of that's to come later today. Uh, one of the guys who did a heck of a coaching job, obviously, was David Pierce, and uh, he, he you know had to uh, work with the 19 new faces and the change in the coaching staff. It's all been well documented and how they kind of had to uh, flip the script two or three times during the course of the season. Uh, most recently, uh, you might say, well, there's the Oklahoma series clearly after being swept there. But even even in that first game of the doubleheader of the reconstituted San Jose State series when they lost and the players all said it didn't sit well with them afterwards. And, and Coach Pierce saying that, uh, you know, that telling me in between games when I said you, you have a little more time to try to uh, prepare for the second game than you normally have with a doubleheader or things going to approach differently. And he said, that's up to them. They have to figure that out, and they did. And so that's some impressive stuff. But uh, in figuring out things, one of the questions asked of Coach Pierce at the news conference yesterday or the media availability over the ballpark yesterday was, you know, what what has his, his team learned about itself and what has he learned about his guys? I think just lessons learned and just paying attention to why we're – good when we're good and then understanding that you know it all starts with mentality it all starts with preparation so many things within the game you can't control but if those are controllable and you do then you're in a better spot to have success and so I just like where they are mentally they believe in each other they're confident Um, so yeah we're just you know we always play and say that we play for five championships and we won the first one, but that's a step to get to the second one. Um, well, the ultimate goal is still out there, and that's what we've talk, talked a lot about. That's, it's nice to win the conference championship, but that's not why we're here. Yeah, it's the next step in the pro- in the process. And, and Jeff, you've heard it many, many times, as I as have I. The first person I heard talk about it in these terms, the numerical, the numerical values attached to the championships was Augie Garrido. Augie, for for a long time, said it was, and you heard David Pierce talk about this five, the season of five championships: Big Twelve Conference regular season championship, Big Twelve Conference tournament championship, regional championship, super regional championship. And national championship. Now, uh, it, it, Augie, in his later years, expanded that conversation to call it six championships. And I was like, well, what's the sixth one? He said, well, you've got your Big 12 regular season, and you got your Big 12 postseason, then you got your regional championship, then you got your super regional championship, then you have your bracket championship at Omaha, which is like playing like a regional because there's four teams on your side. So you have to win that bracket championship to get to the national championship uh, to do that. So he thought of it in terms of six, but most think of it once you get to Omaha, you're playing for one more title. And to get to Omaha, your path 
is certainly made easier the more games you can play on your home field. Now, you know, barring uh, all sorts of crazy things happening around uh, college baseball with regard to the top eight national seeds and the Longhorns running the table and winning the tournament in Arlington, the odds certainly would be against Texas being a top eight seed. But being in the top 16, that's a different issue. Uh, yesterday in the projections released by uh, D1Baseball.com, Texas was, according to Kendall Rogers and Mark Etheridge and the rest of that crew, in the top 16 at number 16 uh, and uh, in a uh, regional that would include uh, Dallas Baptist as a two-seed, Texas A&M as the three, and Loyola Marymount as the four. Now, again, we, we follow multiple sets of projections, so there will be more that will continue to come out this week. But the bottom line is now many more folks are envisioning and seeing the Longhorns as a regional host. We'll see what happens this week. And, of course, it is next Monday when Selection Monday comes out uh, where we find that out. But David Pierce does not mince words when asked about whether he feels his team has earned a regional host spot. 100%. I think if you're the number one seed in the third or fourth best conference in the country, you should be hosting. Uh, And if you're not, then... You know, I don't understand why. Why don't we just play it on the computer? You know, you go out there and you beat the first place team handedly um, late in the year. You're playing your best baseball. You get one of the best pitchers in the country back. So all these variables come into play when you start looking at your resume and saying, yeah, this team is deserving to host a regional. And I don't think a conference tournament should ever hurt a team in that category. It can help you, but I don't think it should ever hurt you. Yeah, and I think that's the key, Jeff, where he's talking about it. He believes the conference tournament can help some teams, but it shouldn't hurt you if your body of work has spoken for itself and being a conference champion and the top seed in the tournament in a Power 5 league, he feels, has merited his team the right to be a regional host. If you look at the RPI now from where it sits, and this was my first impression when that Big 12 tournament bracket came out Saturday night, I said, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the Big 12, he's right. If you look at Warren Nolan, the Big 12 is the number three RPI conference. But your highest rated RPI team as of right now is West Virginia at 21. Uh, you've got Texas at 23. That side of the bracket doesn't do Texas very many favors. What you're hoping for if you're a Longhorn fan, obviously a win over Kansas. Uh, tomorrow, but you would hope that your opponent on Thursday is TCU, and a win over TCU would be something that would benefit you greatly because TCU would get you a quad one win in the RPI. Yeah, and and uh, you know it's weird how that happened just over the weekend, really how it flipped, Jeff, because and and it flipped against Kansas State because Kansas State. Uh, you know, had TCU kind of down the thing, but you take two out of three, and it makes a big difference there. Yeah. Um, and, and here's the other thing I think that's important uh, <clears throat> to remember about this. By the way, Craig, uh, like, with, the, the, tomorrow it, it's a it's as must win as a must win can be because Kansas, Kansas is sub 100 in the RPI right now. They're a one yeah. three. That's why the, the, that's that's why Lucas Gordon is going to pitch tomorrow. Yeah. Because for folks that say, well, why would you? 
why would you start him against the eight seed? It's because of the damage that can be done if you lose that game. Hey, the only loss Lucas Gordon has was against Kansas, the Friday night game, you know, up in uh, in Lawrence. Right. And uh, and they took a big uh, RPI hit as a result of that deal. Yeah, to borrow um, to borrow so, from David Pierce on based on what he just said. A loss to Kansas, I think, would hurt you much more than a win over K-State or TCU would help you. Yep. Yep, I, I think so. Um, and, and, and to the point, here's a couple other things to keep in mind. As folks look at these, the, at these projections, and not just D1. I mean, Baseball America does a set of projections, and, uh, and uh, College Sports Madness does a set of projections. And they all have baseball writers, and they all cover it, and they all – project they are as we say bracketological prognostications um i think it's important to look at the teams on the back side of it, not necessarily the ones that are the top eight because most are going to agree that wake forest is probably the number one overall national seed uh florida arkansas lsu those three sec teams could be two three four somewhere in there they've got stanford clemson vanderbilt and virginia as the rest of those it's the second tier that I'm kind of intrigued with. Kentucky is nine. Coastal, this is D1. Coastal Carolina, 10. Miami, 11. Auburn, 12. Oklahoma State, 13. Alabama, 14. Boston College, 15. And Texas, 16. Okay, here's my point. I think it's really interesting that you have teams that are seeded right now in that who are playing single elimination games today. Kentucky and Alabama are playing each other in a single elimination game this afternoon. Both of those teams right now are, according to D1, slotted in as regional host. They're not even in the double elimination part of the field yet. No, that just shows you what a grind the league, if you're a Texas fan, that league you're fixing to go into. Because like, yes. like take Kentucky, for instance, right? Kentucky is number two in the RPI, number one in the country in strength of schedule, they went sixteen and fourteen in the SEC. Yeah, and and Bam, Bama's yeah. got that same record, sixteen and fourteen in the SEC. So th- that just shows you. We, everybody talks about that league in football, but Craig, anybody that follows college baseball, I'll tell you firsthand, it, it's just as good, if not better, as a baseball league. Because as we've seen with Ole Miss and some other teams, you can finish in the middle of the pack in the SEC in the regular season standings and very much be a national championship contender. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So my, my advice to Longhorn fans who are watching that sort of thing is keep an eye on some of those games because the loser of that game today between uh, Kentucky and Alabama, as projected by D1 right now, both are projected as regional host. Uh, whichever one of those teams loses that single eliminator today is not even in the, the rest of the SEC tournament. They didn't even get to the double elimination. So my question is, at that point, does it affect uh, w- both of those teams, certainly the losing team, from landing a regional host spot? And that maybe that speaks to David Pierce's point about the tournament shouldn't really punish you, but it could help you. So there's, there's the rub. 
on that, and I think it's kind of uh, kind of important to see that. And it's going to be interesting. Yeah, and I'll, I'll give I'll give Texas fans, Craig, the other the other three to watch, really to see how things play yes. out in their tournaments. Kind of those one big leads. Ah, those one bid leagues. And the Sun Belt at this point is not a one bid league, one bid league. It's outside of the Power no. Five, Power Six, however you want to look at it. But Coastal in the Sun Belt tournament, you want to you want to see what Coastal does. You definitely want to follow DBU in that Conference mm-hmm. USA tournament. Campbell's another one in that Big South tournament. Mm-hmm. Keep an eye on Campbell. They've submitted a bid to be a regional host, so Campbell's in there. Uh, East Carolina's a, a program, and Texas fans are familiar with that program. I don't, I don't know if if they have a chance to host, but you know they're twenty four in the RPI right now, so maybe they're one of those teams on the cusp. Uh, and then you know with the Big Twelve teams, Craig just crammed together. When you look at the RPI, Oak State at twenty, West Virginia at twenty one, Texas at twenty three. Mm-hmm. Logic might tell you, you know. I think if if you have Texas come out of their bracket and then with West Virginia or Oklahoma State, whoever comes out of that other side of the bracket, your Big Twelve championship game might be to to see who's hosting a regional and who's not. Yeah, yeah, it could be. And and to your point, just to add on to your point, um, you mentioned Coastal Carolina. I think Coastal is probably safely in as a regional host. One team from the Sun Belt that's trying to get serious consideration to be a regional host would be Southern Miss out of that. So I would say keep an eye on that uh, as well. I'll give you another one to watch. Boston College. Mm-hmm. Watching the ACC tournament, how they right now, uh, D1 has them listed as the 15th seed. And the NCAA loves to spread it out. They'd love to have a uh, regional in Brighton, Mass. They would yeah. love to. Uh, if, if if they And they may give them the benefit of the doubt, so depending on what their uh, success level is. Also, I would say keep an eye uh, on Miami, uh, that would be one in the ACC as well. That's that's one uh, to keep an eye. You mentioned Campbell. The interesting thing about Campbell is, and you mentioned East Carolina. Campbell, I think, won both games that they played against ECU this mm-hmm. this year. They had a crazy game the other night that I watched that they won. Uh, I think it was a 14-11 to 11 game. Uh, it's a really good team. They have also, Campbell has submitted a bid using the minor league park in Fayetteville, which is about 30 miles down the road. They are not bidding their 3,000-seat ballpark. The Fighting Camels of Bowie's Creek, North Carolina, <laughs> are submitting uh, are submitting uh, the minor league park, which is home of the Fayetteville Woodpeckers, and they are the Astros single-A affiliate there in the Carolina League. Uh, and it's it's like a 4,800-seat ballpark, close to 5,000, as opposed to their 3,000-seat park. So they've submitted that. There's also more hotels uh, there in Fayetteville. It's a military town. It's a lot like Colleen. Fayetteville's a lot like Colleen. It's, they've got, yeah, they've got Fort Bragg, gigantic Army installation, just like Fort Hood, and they also have Pope Air Force Base there. So it's a big military town there. And, yes, Jeff, it does have its requisite amount of uh, – uh, uh, pawn shops and, and tattoo parlors. It there does have go. that. I mean, it wouldn't be a military town if it didn't have that. Hey, Craig, before uh, uh, before we hit the break, yes. there, there's two yes. two more that I want to ask you about. Get your take yep. on uh, as possible host candidates. Again, you know, depending on they've got a chance to either with their conference tournament maybe play themselves in or play themselves out. One is mm-hmm. Tennessee, and the other is Oregon mm-hmm. State. If you're looking for another West Coast regional host, and it seems like Stanford is pretty much locked into at least being a top 16 at this point. Uh, Washington kind of played themselves out late in the regular season, but Oregon State seems to be the one on the West Coast that's still somewhat alive for a host spot. 
I agree with you there. I don't think Tennessee is a viable candidate to host anymore. They're, by the way, playing the Aggies in that single eliminator today uh, in in, uh, in Knoxville. So, I mean, in uh, in uh, Hoover. Hoover, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, I, I, I don't think they, especially with all the other SEC schools that are getting the serious consideration. Uh, but, uh, and by the way, kind of an important game for A&M just to be in the field. Oh, yeah, for sure. Kind of an important game for the Aggies uh, today. I, I don't know that, that I could see Tennessee getting there. Oregon State, yes. They're a little bit different. A, a, a bit of an outlier in that they really came on late in the year. You mentioned Stanford. They're going to be a top eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oregon State um, is, is kind of almost in the same boat with Texas, uh, but a little further back also because they played their uh, cupcake uh, uh, series last weekend against Western Carolina. Uh, to close it, they'd finish their Pac-12 series. And how about this, Jeff? The Pac-12 tournament is in Scottsdale, Arizona, where, by the way, Texas women's golf's playing right now in the uh, against the Aggies in the uh, in the quarterfinals, uh, the NCAA Women's Championship. The men will be out there next week, but they play in Scottsdale. They'll be a little bit warm, not as warm as the whack in Mesa, Arizona, where Sam Houston and and UTA and UTRGV have to play. Uh, but they're going to be in uh, Mesa. So, um, so it'll, it'll, it'll be, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to watch that. But Oregon State, I think, does have a shot. Uh, a run in the Pac-12 tournament wouldn't hurt. No, by, no by the way, Oregon State, uh, 68 nationally in strength of schedule. How about the 236 non-conference strength of schedule? That hurt, see, yeah. and, and playing the Catamounts from Cullowee, North Carolina. One of the few people would have been interested in that would have been my older brother, Kurt, who, was, who went to Western Carolina. But there, there aren't too many folks who would draw a lot from that and you mentioned that the the 68 doesn't help but that non-conference strength of schedule hurts as well Jeez, if, if only if only oregon state had a power five opponent correct that they could have played in non-conference play <laughs> uh, for folks who don't know that was supposed to happen <laughs> and it was supposed to happen at UFCU Dish Falk Field. And mm-hmm. that got swept away, and that's how Manhattan wound up here on that. All right, coming up, uh, we do have uh, Inconceivable. When we continue with Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. Well, Jeff, we started off with wildlife. As you know, I'm always interested in what's going on with wildlife. Mm-hmm. Yeah, animals. Uh, we yeah. like animal attacks, but animals, period, are a yeah. pillar of what we uh, do here. Same thing with birds, unfortunately. Did you see what happened yesterday in Major League Baseball? No. Somebody ex- made a, make a pigeon explode again or what? Uh, Yeah. Second oh, for time. Real? <laughs> we've had a second bird tragedy in less than a week. I heard uh, Andrew Haynes referring to the one the other day with Zach Gallon of the Diamondbacks. He unintentionally struck and killed a bird while warming up in the outfield before the D-backs played uh, Oakland. He threw a curveball that hit the bird in mid-flight and killed it. She had that. Jeez. <laughs> so it wasn't as bad as the Randy Johnson one, the one where the bird exploded uh, on that. However, yesterday, and this is first time this has happened, you had rookie outfielder Will Brennan of the Guardians. So Cleveland's playing the White Sox yesterday afternoon. 
and he hit a hard ground ball that accidentally killed a bird who was just wandering around on the infield grass. Damn. Ha- yeah, happened in the second, uh, second inning. So that's the second time in less than a week that a bird has uh, been hit on the baseball field. Now, so Brennan is a left-handed hitter. He's at the plate, and he's trying to go the opposite way, you know, a la Peyton Powell, you know, against him. And, and it was a 93-mile-an-hour fastball from Jesse Schultons of the White Sox. And the line drive, it connected with a small bird that wandered in, and it took out the bird. Umpires called time. They allowed a member of the ground crew to remove the dead bird with a shovel. So uh, It's amazing that in Major League Two, that pigeon survived the uh, shot to the outfield off Serrano's bat. Yeah, yeah, that one too. <laughs> Following the game, Brennan apologized on Twitter to Pete for the people from PETA, <laughs> the people for the ethical treatment of animals. He said, I'm truly sorry. I truly am sorry at PETA and bird enthusiast. An unfortunate sacrifice was the way he described it. Um, so. Hey, quick, by the way, Craig, real quick trivia question for those that don't know. Yeah. Can anybody name the uh, who was batting when Randy Johnson made that pigeon explode? Who was at the plate? Uh, I forgot. That would be forgot. lifetime Longhorn Calvin Murray. Yes, that's right. Was it was Calvin Murray. Good point. Also, Good point. maybe known better these days as Kyler's uncle, but nonetheless, it was yes, Calvin indeed. Murray. Um, we got a we got a Tuesday bonus for you, Jeff. We got a Florida man story for you, but it involves wildlife. Um. A Florida man's here's the headline. A Florida man's arm was amputated <laughs> after he was attacked by a ten foot alligator. All right, twenty uh, three year old man lost his arm after being attacked by an alligator near a pond behind a bar in Southwest Florida. It was in Port Charlotte. I like where, where this I used is to headed. Go. Yeah, uh, it was in Port Charlotte, uh, that, down there where the Rangers used to train. Uh, the scene of the attack was a bar called <clears throat> Bandidos uh, there in Port Charlotte. Alligator, 10 feet, 5 inches long, removed from the pond and humanely killed, according to a release from the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. Uh, they said when fed, alligators can lose their natural wariness because people have been feeding them, so they've been coming up closer and it's instead to learn to associate people with the availability of food. This can lead to dangerous circumstances for yourself and other people. Uh, additionally, the agency advises residents keep their pets on the leash and away from the water's edge because the animals may appear as prey to alligators. Yeah. Uh, Was this dude drunk when he, when he uh, met face-to-face with the gator? It did not say that. It did not say he... Bystanders applied a tourniquet to the patient before they arrived um, and it, it it bit the arm off. I mean, it just, it, just the clean, elbow amputation. Clean off. Clean off. Damn. There. Yeah. Now, the reverse of that happened. I don't know if you saw this. There was a story uh, down uh, near uh, Sugar Land. If that's going to happen to me, a- like if that would happen to me, I would just want to clean just a clean, just a clean, break. yeah. Just clean, yeah, don't take it, don't mangle take, it and give arm. me yeah, and give me hope that it can be salvaged. Like if you're gonna take my arm, I want to know. Like, dude, this ain't got no chance. Just mm. go ahead and get rid of it. Won't be having a yeah. stump from the elbow up for yeah. the rest of my life. I want to know that well, right did, off the bat. 
Did you hear about the, the, the one over down in Fort Bend County the other day? It was an alligator that wandered up in somebody's yard, and the, he was a 12-footer. Is that the one that had three and, legs? Uh, that's the one who had the three legs. Yeah. yeah. He, had a, he had a leg missing. Yeah. So And they felt that it was uh, another alligator had taken it from him. No, gator so, on gator crime. Maybe he was looking for yeah, a Yeah, and then he and then that particular gator was scared to go back in the area where the other alligator had taken his leg. So he came onto somebody's yard instead. Help me find my so, leg. Probably the same. Needed a needed a nice uh, peg or something. I don't know what a gator would use for a prosthetic. But yeah, it's I'm good. Sure point. They, hey, I'm sure they uh, make those. Okay, we spent a lot of time yesterday talking about condiments and how Rod Babers doesn't like white condiments and stuff like that. That he's never eaten a Waffle uh, House? Right. Do you, you like uh, do you like condiments? Ketchup, mustard, things like that. <laughs> Can we mark that when Craig asks me if I like condiments? Yeah, I like condiments are fine. <laughs> I don't uh, know why okay. that tickled me so much. Okay, all right. Well, the reason why I say that is because now there's a Kraft Heinz because, you know, Kraft, Evans Heinz, whatever, has a brand-new what's called a remix machine. Uh, and it, it made its debut at the National Restaurant Association show in Chicago. It's a condiment machine that lets you choose from more than 200 sauce combinations to top your hot dog, your hamburger, or other dish. Uh, it, it provides, there's a range of base sauces, like Heinz ketchup, Heinz 57, ranch and barbecue sauces, They've developed sauce enhancers like jalapeno, smoky chipotle, buffalo, mango at low, medium, or high settings to further personalize their sauce. Man, and no. it looks like, it, it, well, it looks like a soft drink machine. Now here's the here's the reward of it, Jeff. It's going to be made available like at ballparks, so you don't have to go over there and stand and wait while some other dude uses up most of the ketchup left, you know, at, at Minute Maid or something, waiting to dress up your dog. Uh, uh, this is going to be like a big like vending machine almost type thing. That's, that's just, somebody that had way too much time on their hands and thought of that. You need three three things going with a hot dog. Ketchup or mustard or relish or some combination of the three. You need some onions on that deal. If you're like me, just put all three on it. Okay, there you go. All right, Jeff and Cam are going to take you through hour number two. I'm getting on the road, heading up to Arlington. Be there tomorrow morning. Jeff will be driving up, so I'll be on tomorrow morning from Arlington. Side of the Big 12 tournament. Up next, hour number two of Light the Tower on the Horn.